0: Praise the Lord His mercy is-
1: Amen. That's great news. His mercy is more and it endures. Church, you can have a seat. In fact, everybody can have a seat except for the kiddos. Kiddos, y'all come on up to the stage. We've got a treat for all of you this morning. Um, As the kids are making their way to our choir loft for them, I have one quick announcement. So it has to do with Operation Christmas Child. Um, And it's very simple. Uh, The boxes that you've been grabbing over the weeks, those are due in two weeks, November 20th. So go get gifts, fill those boxes up with gifts and and turn those in um, to the booths in the foyer there, November 20th. And what's awesome is we have already passed out just the Fellowship fate, but we've passed out over a thousand of those boxes to be filled with gifts. So thank you for your generosity. That's really, really cool stuff. So as you can see, got the kiddos up, they're joining us this morning, and we are excited for that. Let's be reminded here, Proverbs 22, 6, it says this, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So parents in the room, myself included, we should know that this is our primary responsibility, that this, um, this command is on our shoulders to shepherd to disciple our children. Um, it is is not the primary role of the churches, although the church plays a role, but it's it's our role as parents. Um, but what's awesome here at Fellowship Fayetteville is that um, our whole uh, children's ministry from early childhood all the way through FSM, and we take this very seriously, um, and we're committed to doing it the same way. And so over the past few weeks, our um uh, Fayette Kids worship leader Jimmy Cook has been teaching the kiddos a couple of hymns, and these are hymns that we sing week in and week out. Um, we want the children to learn these hymns that are rich in theology and these songs that are that are good and that are true. And so, we're going to sing this morning, they're going to lead us in worship uh, two songs, Come Thou Found and Be Thou My Vision. And so, um, my hope is that we actually let them lead us, though. Uh, in a second, I want to ask you to stand, and we're going to engage in worship, and the children are going to lead us in that. The, this is not a performance for them, but they, they understand that they're, they're going to help lead in worship. So with that, church, let's stand together. Let's engage in worshiping the one true king. also been really cool if you if you've been um, attending some services here uh, throughout this Ephesians series um, no doubt you have um, been a part of the services where we have done the confession and assurance of pardon because we've done it every single week um, but what you might not have known is that the kids down the hall have been doing the same thing and so throughout this series um, they've been engaging in corporate confession corporate assurance of pardon And so we're gonna do their version of it. It's the same as ours, it's just shortened just a little bit. And so they're gonna help lead us in that. And so church, let's say this together. Have mercy on us. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We are in need of a savior. And church, if you believe in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you proclaim him as Lord, and only Lord, you've committed your life to him, and we have an assurance of pardon that's good news that we can cling to. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. In him we have forgiveness of sin. In him we have a savior. Amen. One more time. Thank you, kids, you for leading us in worship this morning. We're going to exit the stage. And if you would, uh, let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning.
2: The Word of God. the <laughs> skal kvinnerne underordne sig sine män i alt. Dere man elsker kronene deres, slik Kristus elsket kirken og gav sig selv for den, for å gjøre den hellig, og rense den med bada i vann i kraft eller ord. Slik ville han selv føre kirken frem for sig i herlighet, uden den minste flek eller rynke, hellig og uden fel skulle den vara. På samma måte skal også manna elsker sine koner som sin egen kropp. Den som elsker sine kåner, elsker sig selv. Ingen har noen gang hatet sin egen kropp. nej, man, man ger kroppen næring og plejer den på samme måte som Kristus gjør med kirken. For vi er på hans kropp. Derfor skal mannen forlade far og mor och holde fast ved sin kvinne, och de to skal være en kropp. Dette er et stort mysterium. Jeg tænker på Kristus og kirken.
1: that we can pursue, and God, therefore, the good news, it's no sin that we have done either that can separate us from your Son, Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ, and through Christ alone, we have forgiveness of sin. He has bridged the gap, and so, Father, we stand here amazed by the love of Jesus, Stand here and proclaim your goodness, your faithfulness to us because of the promise that you delivered through sending your son for us. So we stand amazed. We stand thankful. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you would, let's turn our attention to the screen for a short video.
3: Hello, fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the Elder Board as four of our current elders will be completing their Terms of Service next summer. In our church governance structure, the Elder Board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination And complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination or if you prefer a paper nomination form you may pick one of those up in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the Qualifications of an Elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you.
4: Well, I want to join Mickey in encouraging all of us to be involved in the elder nomination process. I've been around here for a while and I've seen how critical that elder board is to the ongoing health and ministry of fellowship. So if you're a regular attender here, if you consider fellowship home, especially if you're a member of our church, I wanna encourage you to engage the process. And so you can grab the forms at the info booth or, I'm gonna make it really easy for you, pull out your phone, hit the QR code, that'll take you straight to a page that's got a link to those elder nominations and the form is right there you can fill it out online. And so here's what I'm asking you to do, pray. Ask the Lord if you know someone who meets those elder qualifications and who the Lord might wanna see on our elder board. And if you feel led to do so, nominate that person. And even if you don't feel led to nominate somebody, just join us in praying that God will give us the elders that he desires for us to have. So this is happening at Fellowship Bentonville, Fellowship Rogers, Fellowship Mosaic, and of course, we wanna do our part here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Well, my name's Michael, and I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and we're gonna continue our study this morning in Ephesians, and we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter five, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Ephesians study guide, we're on page 101, so open that thing up, and I'm gonna kinda reset where we are in our study of Ephesians. You know, when we started this study, It felt like it was gonna be long, didn't it? Back in September, when we looked at it, and we said, this is gonna take us all the way through Thanksgiving, it seemed like a long study, and yet, here we are. After today, we only have two more weeks left. And so as we look at our outline of Ephesians on the screen behind me, I wanna remind us the driving theme of this book is unity, unity in Christ. We've said it week after week, the book of Ephesians, is designed to show us that in Christ, God is creating a, a new humanity, a humanity united under the gospel where other things that might divide us fall away. That's why we've read the scripture in different languages virtually every week all year. Thor, thank you for leading the scripture, reading the scripture for us this morning. First time I've heard Norwegian in church, I don't know about y'all, it was pretty awesome. We've been doing that to remind ourselves things like language, race, politics. Those things shouldn't divide us because they're all secondary to the gospel that unites us. And so for those first three chapters, we looked at the calling of the church. This cosmic Christ who unifies all things in himself. And then in chapter four, we turn to what we're calling the conduct of the church. And we've been in that section for a few weeks. And we've been talking about how we should now live in response to this good news of Jesus. And, and as Garland pointed out last week, we're somewhat used to, being, to receiving instruction, right? We're used to having some rules and some ex- expectations for our conduct. And yet sometimes we chafe when the Bible calls us to act a certain way. I mean, one place I think of that we're very used to being told what to do is the road. All of us see these signs on the road, and and we know we're supposed to do what that sign is instructing us to do. So we're gonna have a little participation part here. I need you to wake up again for just a minute. I want you to join with me. I'm gonna put a sign up, and you tell me what that sign says we're supposed to do. Ready, here's our first one. Stop. I started with an easy one. It's red. It says stop. Why is that there? Because if I ignore it and I don't stop, not only is there a chance I'll get a ticket, but I might put myself or someone else in danger, right? I know the sign is there for my own good. How about this one, what's it? Do not enter, yes. When we see this, we generally take it pretty seriously, right, nobody in here is out there thinking, I might have a head on collision, so what? No, if I'm about to turn down that street and I see that sign, do not enter. I'm not going to turn. I'm going to figure out a different plan because I know that sign is there to protect me. All right, how about this one? What's it say? Did y'all say speed up? That's what it means to me. When I am driving and I'm rolling up to the yield sign, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking and I'm thinking I can beat him. Why would I want to get behind him when I can get in front of him? The odds are he does not want to drive as fast as I do. We all hate to yield, don't we? We hate to yield on the road. We hate to yield in life. That's why we scan the supermarket checkouts. I see you with your big order, Uh I'm in line now. That's why we go in the restaurant and we go, go get a table, go get a table, I'll get in line. We don't wanna yield. We don't wanna let somebody else go first. And that's why we all need the instruction that Paul is gonna give us today as we continue our study. He's gonna tell us what it looks like to yield, and he's gonna do it in the context of marriage. So. We're gonna look at Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna pick it up in verse 21. This comes in a section that Garland correctly identified last week as the walk in wisdom section of the letter. Garland showed us how Paul is giving us instructions about how to walk wisely or live wisely. And one of the ways he says to live wisely is to submit to one another. I'll let you guys get me back on that slide. I don't know what just happened were to submit to one another. And he's gonna give us some for instances, some for instances of how we can now live. He's gonna say we can live this way by submitting to one another in marriage. We can submit to one another in, there we go, in marriage, in parenting, and then in a third one, slaves and masters, which was a a common feature of a household in his time. And so going all the way back to the time of Luther, Martin Luther, this has been called a household code. Household code. A way for us to live out the gospel in the context of relationships in our household. And so even though this morning we're gonna focus on that first one there, marriage, I wanna say to all the single people in the room, don't check out on me. Stay with me for two big reasons. Number one, The things we're gonna see Paul say about relationships and marriage are gonna apply outside of marriage as well. And so there's gonna be some things in here where the Holy Spirit might convict you about how you could do relationships differently even if you're not married. And number two, when you get right down to it, this passage, at its core, is not really about marriage. I like how the writer of our study guide said it This is on page 100 of our study guide. This passage is one of the most extensive treatments on marriage in the New Testament. However, it's critical to notice that this discussion on marriage is not the main point of the passage. So what is the main point of the passage? Well, let's discover it together by looking at it. So, our passage starts in verse 21, but we actually have to start in verse 18, because that's the verb that drives this whole section, and it's be filled. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says in verse 18. That's what we call the imperative, that's the command. Everything that comes after it is what we call a participle. I know y'all are like, yay, grammar, that's what we were hoping for this morning. But it's important to help us understand it, because what he's saying is, if we're filled with the Spirit, which is the command, then. We can speak to one another in hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making music to the Lord, giving thanks for everything, and then submitting to one another. Those all hinge on grammatically being filled with the Spirit. And so we find that last one in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the key thing to this verse submit to one another, why? Out of reverence for Christ. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's gonna overflow into our relationships and because of who Jesus is to us, we'll be able to submit to one another in our relationships. See, if we're living a life out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit, we won't be elbowing our way to the front. We won't be pushing people out of the way. We won't be always trying to get our own way. Instead, we'll yield, which as we've already established, is pretty hard to do in the flesh. And so this is what we call our gospel motivation. Clark and I talk just in our conversations all the time about a gospel motivation that we're obeying not to try to earn God's favor, not to try to earn our salvation. If we've given our life to Christ and accepted the free gift of his forgiveness, that's done. Our obedience is driven out of our heart because of who Jesus is to us. And we're gonna see that through this whole passage. In fact, look at that, nine times, nine times in these verses. Paul points us back to Jesus. Back to his sacrifice. Back to what he's already accomplished on our behalf. And we need to remember, it's all possible because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning as we look closely at these verses, they're gonna push us. Believe me, they've been pushing me for weeks as I've studied this. But it's all gonna come back to being filled with the Spirit, and being motivated by the Gospel. So here's a phrase, if you're a note taker, you can jot this down in your notes or in the margin of your Bible. Our mutual submission depends on being filled with the Spirit, and it's motivated by the Gospel. If we're gonna submit to each other in love, it starts with being filled with the Spirit. Letting the Spirit have His way in our heart and our motivations, our desires, our behaviors. And it's motivated by the gospel. We're motivated to live this way because of what Jesus has already accomplished. And so with that in mind, we're gonna look at what Paul says about marriage. Now we might ask ourselves, why is Paul even talking about marriage in this context? Well, first of all, the truth is that marriage in the first century Roman world, when Paul was alive, was in trouble. It was broken. Women had virtually no rights in Roman, Gentile, or Jewish society. The Romans, the Gentile culture, they they had patterned their thinking on marriage after the Greeks. And it was a bad pattern. For them, wives were seen not as companions, but as someone who was there to keep the home and raise the legitimate children. Meanwhile, Roman men had all kinds of relationships outside the home. They went out and did whatever they wanted with whoever they wanted and expected the wives to stay home with the kids. And then in the Jewish community, things weren't much better. There was an expectation of fidelity in the Jewish culture. Adultery wasn't permitted in the Jewish culture. But women still had no rights. In fact, in the first century it was common for a Jewish man every morning to pray this prayer, God thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's how Jewish men viewed their wives. And by the time of Paul, divorce had become tragically easy in the Jewish culture. All a man had to do was have a rabbi write a bill of divorce for virtually any reason and his wife was now out on her own with no protection. So I want you to hear what scholar William Barclay, he's a Bible commentator, here's what he said about that. He said, it is against this background, the background I just described, that Paul writes. When he wrote this lovely passage, Ephesians 5, Paul wasn't stating a view that everyone held. He was calling men and women to a new purity in their married life. Barclay says, it is impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on home life in the ancient world and the benefits it brought to women. And so that's where Paul's going to start with the wives. Here's what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to God, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Did it just get hot in here? (laughs) Is anybody else starting to sweat? What's Paul saying here? Well first of all, let's remember, verse 22, is tied to verse 21. Now, your Bible might put a space in there, but here's the truth. Verse 22 in the original, our earliest manuscripts, they don't have the word submit in verse 22. The translators are borrowing it from 21. In the Greek it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands. So 22 is definitely tied to this mutual submission. And now let's be crystal clear about what this says. It says wives submit to your own husbands. It does not say women submit to men. This is a prescription for order in the home. And we're abusing the passage if we try to make it apply anywhere outside of that. So can a woman be a man's boss? Yes, absolutely, and before I worked at the church, I worked for a lot of really qualified women that I was happy to have as my boss. Can a woman be CEO? Can a woman be mayor? Can a woman be president of the United States? Yes, yes, and yes, and I would vote for her if she was the right one. The Bible consistently teaches men and women are equal in value. In your notes, jot down Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Men and women are both made in the image of God. They're both equally valuable. We're also both created equally in need. We both need the salvation that Jesus offers. Men and women stand before a holy God, both equally in need of salvation. So we're equal in value. We're equal in our need for Jesus. But as the Bible teaches, we have different roles to play in the context of marriage. And we see that because Paul uses this headship language. So what does it mean when he says a husband is the head of the wife? Well, the key to understanding it is the next phrase as Christ is the head of the church. Remember, all of this only works in the context of a spirit filled, gospel motivated obedience. So we have to ask ourselves how is Christ the head of the church? Or we might ask it this way how does Jesus define headship, power, authority? Well, our go-to text for that, you can jot this one down too, I'm gonna have it on the screen, is Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25. Jesus himself addresses it. It says Jesus called them, that's his disciples, Jesus called his disciples together, and here's what he said. You know that the, catch it, rulers, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's headship. Then he says, not so with you. And then Jesus is gonna tell us what authority, what headship looks like in his kingdom. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus, through his life, his teaching, and then his death, has radically redefined what leadership means. He says the leader is now the servant. The first now goes last. And even Jesus, the son of man, that's his favorite title for himself. Even Jesus, the one man who ever lived who deserved to be served didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life. And so Jesus is saying now, headship, leadership, that looks like going to the cross. You think I'm stretching it here? Paul's gonna say that exact thing in the very next verse. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Christ do? He stepped out of heaven. He gave up the the right to be in heaven with God as Father. He came to earth in the form of a servant and he went to the cross. He gave himself up. And so husbands, what are we called to do? To give ourselves up, to die to ourselves. And so this idea of biblical headship in marriage, it becomes about responsibility, not rank. It's about care, not control. And it's about serving, rather than ruling. And I want us to notice, the Greek word that Paul uses for love here is agape. Not philos, brotherly love, friendship love. Not eros. Romantic love, godly love. And how did God love us? How did Jesus, God made flesh, love us? By dying. He didn't love us with words. He loved us with actions. Look at what Paul says Jesus does for us, his bride, the church. He says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. All of us who are believers in Jesus, we're his bride. The church is his bride. And what Paul's describing here is Jesus lovingly caring for us We talked about this passage in my community group Thursday night. One lady there said, Jesus makes his bride his priority. I love that. We know from other passages that he prays for us. He's attentive to us. According to this passage, he's tenderly preparing his bride for himself. That's what we, as husbands, are called to do for our wives. Paul's gonna go on in this same way. In the same way as what we just saw Jesus doing. Husbands ought to love our wives. And then he says, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. See, all of us instinctively give our body what it needs, don't we? When we're hungry, we eat. When we're tired, we rest. We take care of our needs. Husbands, we're to do that for our wives first. We need to recognize her needs and then come alongside her to serve her in those needs. Why? because we're members of his body. What that tells me is that my wife, who's a fellow believer, Jesus died for her. She's my sister in Christ, and so I need to value her as such. I need to value her as much as Jesus values her. And now Paul's gonna give us the big reveal I teased this a little bit at the beginning. What is the central point of this passage? He's gonna reveal that. He's gonna call it a mystery. In the Bible, a mystery means a thing that was previously hidden but has now been revealed. He's gonna go all the way back to Genesis 2, 24. You can jot that one down as well. That's what he's gonna quote from from here as he continues in verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Here's what Paul's saying. Go all the way back to Genesis 2, Garden of Eden. This is before the fall. The fall happens in Genesis 3. All the way back in Genesis 2, God creates marriage, between one man and one woman. And Paul says, even then, it was pointing to a bigger reality. It was pointing to Christ's relationship to the church. And Paul says, that hasn't been known until now when he wrote Ephesians chapter five. Think about it, from day one, marriage wasn't really about marriage, it was about Jesus and the church. Sometimes we flip it. See, it's not that Christ's relationship to the church is like my marriage. No, it's the other way around. My marriage is like Christ's relationship to the church. So today, we have this advantage. We know something that no one knew for thousands of years, that our marriage is a picture of the gospel. That the way we treat each other in our homes, in our marriage, is a picture of Christ's love for the church. And so I do wanna challenge those of you who are married to think about how your relationship, how your mutual submission to each other, husbands, how your servant leadership, wives, how your Christ-honoring submission to that leadership could be a picture to your kids, if you have any, to your neighbors, to your friend group, to your coworkers, all these people in your sphere of influence could get a glimpse of the gospel in your marriage. It's actually the most tangible picture of the the gospel that you have. Because if you live this out, your marriage is gonna feel different. It's gonna look different. It's gonna bring the aroma of Christ into all these spaces by pointing people to this bigger story, the gospel. And so Paul's gonna summarize his teaching with this simple statement. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, this is the third time in this passage he's told us to love our wives. And wives, he's calling you to respect your husband. You know, many have observed over the years that this simple verse captures the deepest heart needs of men, which is to be respected, and women, which is to be loved, and applied that to the context of a marital relationship. And so when we think about this passage, it comes down to this. Wives are called to submit to their husband's leadership, which means yielding to him. And husbands are called to die to ourselves and, and serve our wives, which means yielding to her. It's two sides of the same coin. It makes me think of Romans twelve ten that says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's got that spirit to it. And so this all sounds good, right? When I lay it out like that, what does it look like in a real, everyday marriage? Well, I've got some friends who are gonna come up. Kyle, Esther, Lee, come on up. We're gonna talk about how we actually live this out in the context of our marriages. As they come up, I wanna introduce them. This is my wife, Lee. We've been married 29 years, despite how young she looks. And this is Kyle and Esther Graves. Kyle, how long have y'all been married?
5: We've been married four years this past week, actually.
4: Oh, hey, happy anniversary. Oh, you made it four years, the rest is cakewalk, right? Married people. (laughs) Somebody had a real belly laugh over here. We have a counseling center available if you. So Kyle, I wanna start with you. Lee and I got married in the last century, right? Y'all have a, a modern marriage, you're young. Does this work? like? Can you actually live out this Ephesians five in a 21st century marriage?
5: Yeah, I think you can, absolutely. Um, As we talked about it this past week, um, as followers of Jesus, we're trying to model our behavior after the authority of the Bible across all aspects of life. So like last week, we talked about uh, money, sex, and our tongue, and this week, it goes into the marriage relationship. So um, the culture may be a little bit different, but ultimately, the truth is still there. So I think we can submit to the Bible's outline for how it um, directs us there. So
4: when you think about this call to servant leadership, um, to love Esther as Christ loved the church, what does that look like in real life? Put, put some for, for instances on that for us.
5: Yeah, um, three things stood out to us. If you look at the verse, which is what we were talking about, it says to love as Christ loved the church. Uh, and to me, you know, I was like, You know, the first thing is Jesus initiated towards us in love. Um, And so I can do that, I can initiate towards Esther, you know, in small things, not only the big things in life. Um, He also submitted to the Father's will, and so I can do that with my life, uh, submitting to God's will, not just what I wanna do all the time. Um, And the third would be, it was a self-sacrificing love, so he wasn't interested in his own well-being, but in ours. and that's the hard one, and that's something that I don't do good all the time. Uh, a story we talked about this past week uh, as we were preparing was um, two years into marriage, Esther wanted to switch jobs and go from a salary job to a commission-based, and I worked for a startup, so as we were talking about it, you know, um, I think instead of reacting and thinking of her interests and like, man, she wasn't really happy, she was excited about this new opportunity, um, instead of being interested in thinking about how she was feeling, I reacted in fear and a little bit of passivity, being like, well, I don't wanna take on extra burden of financial security. Um, So I was being selfish in that, and it led to some uh, tense conversations, but thankfully she had grace for me and we got through it, and once I realized, like, man, she's really excited about this, she really is interested, Uh, I need to be pumped for her and encourage her there and own some of the responsibility there, so. Mm. It's not always easy.
4: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanna say for Kyle and I and for all the guys in here, nobody bats a thousand at this. Nobody's perfect at this. Um, And so I appreciate you sharing a story about maybe when you you could grow from that and realize. So Esther, I wanna ask you, you're a 21st century woman. You got a job, you got a career, how did this passage hit you? When you first read wives, be, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, um, how did that hit you?
6: I think at first I was like, oh gosh, like I have to obey you or submit to your will. And I think that's not the way the Lord intended it. And it doesn't mean that I don't have opinions or I can't speak up. Um, it just means that I respond to Kyle's sacrificial love for me as I respond to the gospel in the way that Jesus loves me and so that's a joyful response um and it's not it's not hard when he's doing that well because you know it's it's easy I want to honor him and to trust him and to support him when he's doing that, so. Mm, that's
4: good. Okay, so he he was kind and, and shared a story of when he blew it. Um, <laughs> do you have a story of when he did good and made yes, it easy for you?
6: I do, actually. Um,
4: I got your back, Kyle. <laughs>
6: um, so a couple years in a marriage, um, I, had, I started feeling distant kind of from my family, my parents specifically, um, just from a lack of spending time with them. It was kind of unintentional, and um, we were just, you know, figuring out the rhythms of marriage and prioritizing our friends and each other and what that looked like and we looked up and I was like, I don't feel like I have a relationship with my parents anymore and it just, it made me sad and um, I didn't expect him to do anything about that. I don't know, I just, that was my family, but um, he actually initiated um, and you know reached out to my dad periodically to, to schedule times to spend time with him and that just, like, meant so much to me. I felt so loved and heard in that. And he could have looked at that situation and looked at, oh, that's your, that's your relationship with your parents. You know, you can figure that out. But instead, he saw that as our relationship with my parents. And um, I just felt unified with him in that. And I, I honored him and respected him so much more for that. And he just saw my needs. And... Um, cared about me and prioritized that, and it meant so much, so.
4: Thanks for sharing that. I'm glad I'm not feeling convicted about dealing with the in-laws right now. Listen, Lee. (laughs) No, Lee's family's great. Um, Hey, glad you're here. Uh, We have the privilege of getting to share the lesson on biblical roles in MERGE. And so MERGE is is our Sunday night experience for dating and engaged couples. Seriously dating and engaged couples. I almost said seriously engaged. I don't know what that would've meant. (laughs) Um, We get to teach this passage and help them wrap their, their minds around it, a lot of them for the first time, and if you're in here and you're seriously dating or engaged, I would encourage you to sign up for the next round of Merge. We'd love to see you in there, but I asked Hallie on our graphics team to just bring your slide over that you use in Merge because you do a really good job helping us understand. We've been talking about what it means to sacrificially lead and submit, but you do a good job of framing what biblical submission is not.
7: Yeah, yeah, so that's a great place to start because we have a lot of cultural baggage that comes along with that word, and so I like to begin with kind of shedding some of that off, and so the first one we talk about is biblical submission does not mean that we are inferior in any way. Just like Michael talked about earlier, we are equal in value and equal in need, Uh, It doesn't mean we're junior associate. It doesn't mean that we're sidekick or some sort of assistant. No, we are equal in value, called to come alongside our husbands, come willingly under their spiritual leadership, and in fact, become the indispensable uh, companion for our guys.
4: Yeah, so just thinking biblically, what does it mean for a wife to be a helper? like How do you read that through the lens of Scripture?
7: Yes, so that's one of the the characteristics of the role that we've been called to, is being a helper. And the first thing that always comes to my mind is the fact that helper is an attribute of God himself. That Jesus, before he left to go back to heaven, said he's going to give us another helper, the Holy Spirit. And so, as I attempt to come alongside you, Michael, and help you be um, who you can be better than as if I was not there, then I'm actually aspi- aspiring to be a reflection of God himself. So helper is not something that's junior or lesser than. It's something that I can reflect God back to God as he does for me.
4: Yeah, before you move into those next two, something you and Esther both said Biblical submission doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. And so I always think about, we bought our starter home. Then we had a kid, then we had another kid, then we had another kid, then we added another kid. And uh, people always, when we were in the midst of it, people would always say, how many kids do you want? You know, we're adopting our fourth. And I was like, two. And so (laughs) I was determined that we were going to stay in that house. I don't want a bigger house payment, I don't wanna get into the trade-up game, we're gonna stay right here. And Lee kept casually being like, hey, look at these real estate ads. We'd be driving around, she'd be like, that looks like a nice place to live, and I'm just like, no. And so, she sat me down one night, and she said, this house is fine for you. You have a sink, you have a closet, you have your own room. We had a room together, of course, but you've got your space. Yeah, I didn't want that to start a rumor. You've got room. The kids, we have four kids sharing one sink. You're not, you're not making a sacrifice, your family is. I needed to hear that. I was on the phone that day. I need a house in the Holcomb Holt School District. So, like, I needed Lee to speak that into me, and she did it with love and with respect, uh, but her submitting to my leadership doesn't mean she doesn't have a voice. She's actually the most important voice in my life. All right, so. Let's finish these last two.
7: Yeah. Yeah, so the the second one we talk about is um biblical submission is not just blindly following my husband into sin. Never does the word say that we just um give the leadership over to them. We check ourselves out. We follow 10 paces behind. We don't speak. No, that's not what this is about at all. We have a Um, Christ-honoring, image-bearing mind, heart, voice, spirit that um, comes equally alongside our husbands to work in an interdependent way to help us get to the point where we can be an example of a godly marriage, an example that shows that as Jesus gave himself up for his bride and the church willingly comes under that leadership, that that can be modeled in our relationship too.
4: And then our last one is physically, emotionally, or mentally allowing abuse or violation of the law. And so I hate to end on a downer, but I I want everyone in here to hear me say this. Woe to the person who uses the Bible, specifically Ephesians 5, as an excuse for anyone being abused, for anyone being made to be a second-class citizen, And so I wanna say, if you're in this room or you're listening online, if you're being physically, emotionally, spiritually abused, man or woman, please talk to someone. The Bible never calls us to stay in a situation like that. We actually wanna help the abuser break the cycle of sin that's put you in that situation, and we have resources we can bring to bear on that. And it breaks my heart when I see people who have not been protected by their church, but instead their church has covered abuse with a statement out of the scripture, and so the Bible is not calling any of us to be in a situation like that. Instead, fellowship, the Bible is calling us to live in mutual submission, to do what we don't wanna do, which is to yield to another in our marriages, and in our other relationships. And so let's be known as a church where that happens, where we just take the aroma of Christ out of this place and into every corner of Northwest Arkansas and beyond. Hey, if you'd like to pray with someone, the prayer room is open this morning. You can also take communion back there. Fellowship, we love y'all. We'll see you next week.